0: grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader, Manager, Coach. Welcome to the podcast. I'm sitting here again in Starbucks in a lovely Smallthorne. I'm sitting off, uh, just off a of main road and I'm looking at a good friend of mine who I've been uh, fortunate enough to know for a, for a good while. Um, we're both coaches and um, the gentleman in front of me is somebody who's had a long, a long coaching career. And uh, I wanted to pick his brains and um, share his knowledge with uh, with you listeners, so that you can uh, you can tap into um, all the decades that this guy's been around the football industry. And the gentleman who's sitting in front of me is Rich. Rich Carter. Hi, Rich. Hi, Rob. You okay? Yeah, you mate. Yeah, good. Thank you. Good. Um, so, for any of you who are outside the football bubble, I'm going to uh, just ask Rich to tell us a little bit about his. Um, about his coaching career um, a little bit about what he's doing now so before that um, just tell us Rich because obviously this is a coaching podcast and um, how did you we'll go and talk about you a little bit of a playing career before that because I think most people who are into coaching have played in some form or another like I tried to play but couldn't couldn't quite you know kick it straight enough to to get a career so um, tell us about how you got into coaching in the first place and then we'll perhaps just go back a bit from there I was around 19
1: years old. I'd been released as a, what's called a scholar now.
0: Yeah.
1: And sort of was in a, a quandary playing semi-professional football on what's my next career move. And the reality starts to hit a little bit that I'm ever going to get back in the professional game, which yeah. is what we all wanted to do. Um, I just had a friend at Stoke at the time who, who told me he was doing a little bit of coaching with the community. And they were looking to recruit some coaches. Um, and at the time... I was on a loose end during the days and just playing my semi-pro football, which usually consisted of a couple of games a week and two training sessions. Um, So I just just remember I went to a school on the Monday morning, got picked up en route, went in. One one was a good friend of mine, went in with another coach. So there's three of us in the field on a Monday morning. Day similar today, overcast, bit of rain. And you just got these um, 20 kids... Running around the field playing football and I never I'd never considered football coaching before, so I fell into it by accident. Right. Coming away from there, watching twenty kids have a game of football, a real tear up, no structured coaching sessions or anything, right. a bag of balls, jumpers for goalposts. Um, and it was really when just before the peak of the communities, they were still in quite quiet the infantries at football clubs. So yeah, I was about nineteen and went That's- from there.
0: So actually, in terms of your coaching career, although you're still a young man, you actually got into it at a relatively long, young age, really. If, you, if your interest was peaked at kind of, or started at 19, um, because a lot of the, you know, when you when you hear about coaches who who are well established in the game, a lot of them, whether they went about a formal education early on or not, that they had that interest at, at an early age. So that was pretty pretty similar for you, really. Yeah. And so at that time you were playing semi-pro so when uh, yeah so um just tell us a little bit about your playing career not that this is a playing podcast but just so we've got a bit of background I'll
1: be short and sweet this right. one um, I was around 11 spotted as most lads did middle of a Sunday league pitch um, by a gentleman called Pete Tassel, right um, who, who was scouting for Stoke at the time and he just asked me to go along um, it was on a Friday evening at Staffs Polytechnic yeah so first time I met Tony Lacey and just started training with Stokes under 11's as it right. was at the time went through Stokes Center of Excellence as it was then I think I got offered associate school boys at 14 yeah similar to most boys at 14 15 16 you get the interest of other football clubs um, I always remember Aston Villa were really keen on me right um, but at 16 I'd, I, I got offered by Stoke to sign a YTS and there was one on from Aston Villa as well. And I, I decided to I'll do my YTS with Stoke. Got released at 18. Okay. So sort of I had a seven-year association with
0: the football club. So you were at Stoke from... How many years did you say? From eight, 11 or? to 18. To eight, years, yeah. yeah. And just tell us a little bit about that. Let, let's just settle on that a little bit. So as a player now, when you look back at that, yeah. how do you think perhaps a bit of a contrast about how things have changed or what were the experiences like as a young boy yeah trying to make it trying to get to the best place you could and the experiences you had with the coaches and the environment that you were subjected to
1: it's a million miles from from what we see and what we know now that the facilities they're not as they are now the the, back then the facilities were a real leveler there wasn't any of the picturesque training grounds um, the manicured pitches uh, which the Cat 1s obviously dominate, and then you can go to a, a Category 3 academy and the reality sets back in. So there's none of that. I don't think the expectation, everybody wanted to be a footballer, don't get me wrong, but the expectation wasn't to what you get now. The the teaching methods such as match analysis, obviously it wasn't there. And you, you virtually had the same coach for probably two or three years right. taking you through the centre of excellence. And I just remember it was just football yes back then even if you're a signed player they had a trial game two to three times a year and you, you knew you could get cut at any time from that but in terms of the expectation the pressure the demands to what you see in the academies now there was I don't recall any of that I recall it being hard I recall it taught me a, a lot of values in life that yeah. I carry forward to today but in terms of Geez, me as a 12, 13, 14-year-old footballer compared to what it is now, it's just absolutely chalk and cheese. It it feels like another lifetime. Does it? Yeah. Um, But there wasn't... I never felt, Rob, there's that pressure that there
0: probably is now. Okay, interesting. The
1: expectation on the player or whether that transfers from the parents, I'd never Mm -hmm. got that.
0: Do you think that that's something you took into your coaching life that you thought, I didn't have... The pressure, or it didn't feel unnecessary pressure. So you try to create that for your kids, or boys, or girls in, in your under your jurisdiction. You try
1: to. but I think, if you're honest and you look back, um, you make mistakes along the way, and probably while you try to, to get rid of the pressure, you probably don't know you're ramping the pressure up with the demands that you make on the players. Right. And then Tony Lacey, I, he's probably the, the most demanding individual I've ever come across and and Lace was hard but you look at the amount of not at the time you didn't you look back a couple of years after Tony had left the club or I'd left the club and you realise what you'd give you'd give your life skills but it was tough love and I think the, the mistake that I made certainly in the early days of my coaching career, were your tough love came from being passionate about your players. But your tough love didn't always let the players know, at the time, I actually care for you. And that was something I learned a little bit later on, that you've got to make sure the players don't feel comfortable. They've got to be loved.
0: So are you say, um, I've heard, um, I mean, I know uh, Tony, don't know him well. I, I know lots of people, obviously from this area, who... Have, have been subjected to Tony's education and you know everybody will sing a very similar song that he was really passionate about his discipline you knew exactly where you were but he gave you a, an education on what it would take psychologically and physically to, to survive as a, as, as a young pro that's what bit people people say which is what you're kind of coming across from. yeah and, and I get that and do you think though so are you saying that you had to learn to to, to Explain to your players that they you, that you cared for them first before you were tough with them because you were too tough in the first place, or you oh. had to, or you, or are you saying that that you were the other way around that you you were you know too kind to them when you look back initially?
1: No, certainly not too kind. You were, you were, L- you know. Lace was a task, odd taskmaster, but a fair one. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was hard to get praise from, which is completely different now because. We're working. We're talking about completely different individuals. We're in. A, we live in a different society than what we did twenty to thirty years ago. And the players now, confidence is everything. And you, you do look back on your own experience and thinking. If I was given the amount of ownership that players are given now, if I was made to feel as confident as what you try to make your players feel now, what would I have kicked on? But I just think it was it was the complete norm back then yeah, yeah and you can't go back and change stuff 20 to 30 years ago you, you live your lessons you learn, learning the, the game's always evolving so the biggest thing I would say that you'd look at that could things have been different would it have been different I well, don't live in the past but what it did give me it gave me a set of life skills yeah. in terms of values and things that you'd appreciate the one thing I started to think about more of the last five or six years I've got these life skills and these life values. How do I evolve them into the players of today? Yeah,
0: Brilliant. Okay. So, you know, just to finish off that little bit of a chapter, when you were released or, you know, you had the conversation, Just, I'm always interested in this because these are, the, these are life-changing things, especially when you're an adolescent. Yeah. What was that like at that point and how did you respond to that? Um, I think if they did... If they did
1: today what they did yeah, on yeah, us back okay. then yeah. I think there'd be a few people uh, doing time with their majesty's service <laughs> okay. it was a case of it was a season that Stoke got in the playoffs I think it was 96 we were, we were actually between playoff legs against Leicester so I think they just drew nil-nil at Filbert Street and I remember the reserves having a game on the Monday evening mm. so we're in mid-May most clubs are shut uh, the resis have, have played their game and I remember one of the lads saying we're getting decisions tonight, so we did the jobs as we normally did after the game. And when it was convenient, uh, we were all called, and they put us in the home changing room for about ten minutes. And the, there was eight of us in there, and they called seven of us, and left one in the changing room on his own. So you're walking up that corridor; and I'll never forget it. You're thinking, what, "What's going on here?" And we entered the manager's office, expecting to see the manager at the time, who was Lou Macari. And in there was Bernard Payton and yeah. Ashley Grimes. I remember Bernard sitting there lighting a cigar up it felt like an eternity it was probably about 30 seconds and the seven of us were sitting there and we just simply got told um, we don't think any of you are going to make footballers all together yeah you are you, you will be released when your contracts end which is always June the 30th and, and you're, that's it it was as simple as that you're not good enough to make footballers and you're through the door so your world collapses. this I remember my dad picked me up to take me home. I was living in Warrington at the time. And I just remember being in floods of tears on, yeah, the, on, yeah, the, on yeah. the journey home. You, you were gutted, your world had fell apart. And I was actually doing my level two coaching at the time over really? at Crew, which was part of the, uh, yeah, the mandatory yeah. course that you had to do. And Steve Holland was, yeah. was the assessor. And I remember going over to Crew, completing the course, and I failed my level two coaching that week. Really? Just, you never told me that. <laughs> I had my socks down, and remember back in the day when your socks had <laughs> no to go up to my knees. I had, me, like I had my socks down. Yeah, yeah. But I, was, yeah. I actually, whatever I did, I had failed. And it was probably one of the worst weeks of your life and you think, where do I go from here? There was no clubs open to write to. I had this conversation last night, funny enough, I actually wrote to Peter Fox, who yeah. was Exeter manager at the time, yeah, yeah. And, and Foxy replied, just basically saying all the plans are in place for next season. Yeah. So I remember... You're waiting for the phone to ring back then, a landline. Sitting by it. Yeah, and the yeah, phone never got, rings. Yeah, yeah. And I remember getting a, a call from Peter Ward. He was at Leek Town. Yeah. And that was when reality struck. He said, Would you like to come along for training? And like most kids coming out of a pro club at that age, probably still today, you thought, I'm not playing non league football. We'll late, yeah. But Wardy, as people will know him, and I saw him at Leek a few weeks ago, brilliant. Took a look down at the dugout and see he's still around with Bake at Leek. And, um, an infectious character, and he, he coaxed me along to go and train with Leek Town, and, and really, every, everyone thinks at that age, I won't be along, I'll get back in the programme, yeah. and then you start to realise the standard non-league footballs and some of the players there, but that was it, I just remembered the actual feelings, your world was crushed, floods of tears, and it took me, oh, probably took me a couple of months to get over it.
0: Yeah, so you carried on playing your semi-pro, Yeah. and you'd obviously done your level two by that point yeah I went back to that process and passed it okay and then so in terms of your education just a little bit um how long was it before you perhaps did your a license rich when you went on to do that was yeah. it a few a good few years or yeah
1: um, I think because one of the biggest sticking points as you'll know in this country is the cost of the qualifications yeah, yeah. so level two I did almost immediately when I joined stoke stoke city community so I'd be 19 when I did my level two and um, it was actually Steve Walters' dad, Chris Walters, right. who I did my Level 2 with. I did my UA for B when I was, I was about 23 with Alex Williams. So I'd be, I think I was 31 yeah. when I did my it's A licence. Yeah. And it all came down to the cost. Yeah. Uh, and how you are going to get funded? And how did yeah. that fit into my current job role at the time? Exactly. And yeah. can it be justified? So yeah, I was 31.
0: So you paid a price to go to go and do that. And um, you remember experiences of the two weeks at... Where did, you, where did you go and absolutely do Absolutely brilliant. The brutal two weeks at Lillyshaw, was it? Or where did you go Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: We were actually the last cohort to do the A-license at Lillyshaw. Yeah, brilliant. And that was a part one. Um, and this is where the first time I met Dick Bates. Yeah. It was just absolutely... From the minute he spoke on the first day of arrival to do the register, I was abs- I, I'm an horrendous person for concentration in the classroom environment. And from the minute he spoke to do the register... I just remember, he got me. There's right. something in his voice, yeah. and he got me. But no, absolutely brilliant two weeks. Some expros pros on the course, mic, mic, all mixed life, yeah, sort of experiences you had on the course. And for the first five or six days, he was like I got asked if I was on trial, <laughs> I was absolutely on fire in the game, full of energy. Oh, loved it. You were, in, oh, were, you, you you were it. in every session, I loved yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. And you were picked for by all your peers. Yeah, to play it, yeah. And you think, brilliant, I'm getting picked, I'm on the first picks here. But no, a brilliant two weeks. In terms of the education of it, to work with some of the people that you did, just mind-blowing. Physically, very hard. Very demanding. I think a lot of people's fuel light goes on about day five, um, but no in, in terms of experience and, and the people you meet on there yeah. who become friends for life, lifetime yeah. colleagues yeah, yeah. friends yeah. unbelievable um, but thoroughly enjoyed the course but it's just people like Dick Bate that I don't know I was always blown away with Dick yeah. the way he spoke the way he presented and when he actually did a coaching session it was like going to the theatre yeah yeah it Love was it. breathtaking what he did but no A licence I couldn't wait for part two
0: couldn't you don't mind they did that, so I know that um, if I'm right, the majority of your professional coaching career has been at, at Stoke. You spent a long time there, didn't, didn't you, Rich? Until fairly recently, so just take us through that through that journey, so we've got an idea of your coaching journey uh, as a you know as a professional from when you started to probably where you were when you kind of um, moved on from there.
1: Yeah, I think it was around January. It was it was January 1999 when I went in there. Uh, just started off. I mean, bits and bobs in the community. I was a community coach, going out to the schools. Got a passion for it. Never, like I said previously, never thought about doing coaching. Got a passion for it, working with kids. And it was all fun. It was just setting. It was just getting kids playing football. And back in them days, you could join in. Yeah. And you could have a really good laugh with the kids. And I always remember soccer schools. I became resident for Stoke doing virtual at Lake. Yeah. Cheadle High School. And you got to the point where you knew the kids coming. And we had about 70 kids at Virtual, And you didn't have to do a register And when they come, You knew the names. Yeah. And we'd have such a great, great few days with them. The, the parents had hang around. It was just real good times. And I was very fortunate. I was still semi-professional at the time at Stoke. And I tried to combine it for four years. And I got to the age of 23. And I got offered a promotion. Yeah. Within uh, the community. Because it started to grow then. And... So I had a decision to make, my, my body wasn't great, I would never use injuries as a reason I didn't make the game, but I look back on it now and a lot of my preparation didn't help me, yeah. so I sustained a lot of injuries, and I remember the, just the chore, it was becoming a chore to travel all around the country playing semi-pro, and getting out of bed in the morning if you got an injury, it was, it was mm-hmm. hampering how you were doing your job. So I was about 23 or 24, and I decided to pack in semi-pro, and that's when I thought, this is the route I'm going to take. I'm yeah. not going to make it as a professional. Yeah. So from the age of about 22, 23, I became the assistant community officer. Right. Um, your roles changed as a community change, but I remember we went from basically, I think there was three full-time staff when I started, and by the time I moved over to the academy, which I think it was 2011, we built that to with casual and part-time staff we had over 100 staff Wow! so we really did build it up made a big impact on the local schools um, Jim Cooper ran a similar program at Port Vale and there were two thriving community programs yeah. that worked hand in hand at times really with very respectful to where what areas of the city you were working in terms of fan base um, and just the different roles I did within there I went as most coaches have, from the grass to doing admin stuff stuff I didn't want to do I went then I had to be in charge of managing staff, right. and that's the way I learned it. And then I had a role um, to do my A license. Adrian Ernst at the time, the commun- head of community, he said, "If you want to do your A license, you can." Oh, brilliant. brilliant! Yeah. What's the catch? And he said, "We need a director for the Girls Centre of Excellence." And I'd obviously I coach female football, but it was always in a mixed environment, and it yeah. was something I knew little about. And I was a bit tentative when I first went in. But I, m- I remember the first month of doing the Girls Centre of Excellence, I was hooked. Yeah. And the, the programme that I was set and the challenge I was set on what we had to do to get certain structure in place, certain processes in place, it was a great challenge and yeah, yeah. I actually turned a couple of roles within the Academy down as I was doing the well, Girls Centre yeah. of Excellence because I got that I'd committed for three years yeah. and I did the three years and I loved it. And then that was my my final role before I went over into the academy full time.
0: Okay. And then when you were in the academy, so that was from 2000 and... Yeah, it was
1: 2011 up to last year, so... 18, 17, 18, It was think. December
0: 2017
1: when they came so, out there, yeah. Yeah,
0: and what, you covered um, all age groups then, virtually, or...?
1: I went in initially as the head of under-12s to under-14s. Right, yeah. The following season, I got asked to... Um, we had a little bit of a restructure, and then I covered 12s to 16s, I yeah. was a head of. Um, so, I oversaw five age groups and i 'd always attach myself to one age group um, and I think it was about a year a couple of years later we had a, another restructuring so I think the final three seasons are covered the under sixteens down to the under thirteen so yeah. four age groups uh, working on hybrid stroke full full time programs yeah, yeah. Um, Hard to try and manage two phases because you had to have the transition for your foundation kids into youth development. And then as your youth development kids transition into yeah. the professional development yeah. stage. So you always bring in, you, you sort of the centre hub of the transition phase for for two different phases. And used to go out with the 18s, um, observe a lot of the coaches there, 21s as it was before it moved to 23s. So, very fortunate in my role there, particularly the facilities at the training ground. Wonderful setup, uh, lots, lot of support staff. Um, and that's when I realised the monsters. That, I, I was there from the beginning of EPPP, the inception.
0: Were you? Yeah. So, I just yeah, saw the be, monster yeah, of would. academy
1: football and how it boomed.
0: Wow. So, you've got a real, wow, a real working experience of, of an evolution of something that's completely changed. You know, there you were as a young boy experiencing the three decades ago life as a, as a young pro. Then you've gone out and worked completely at the, the at grassroots with, with kids in schools. And, and so, I mean, your experience of, of, of young players, wow. Um, you know, boys and girls up to, you know, Premier League professional level. Rich, it, it's, you know, it, it's brilliant. Okay, so in all that time, probably when you were in the academy, are there any uh, learning experiences or things that you really stand out for you um, that you can talk about? Because obviously, sometimes you know you can't always talk about things um, that you think. Well, that was a big learning experience for me that I could share and might help other coaches. Is there anything that you can bring to mind, or Whoa. probably put you on the spot really with that? Yeah,
1: just no, it's a good question. Just in terms of how much reflection is required in the academy, I think EPPP, for a club like Stoke, who weren't doing in their academy what other clubs were at the time, it, it made the football club sit up and be actually be serious about what they were going to do and which direction they what wanted the e to take the P academy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was criteria and there was process there's been a lot of people who I know who've come in and worked in the academy before I'd seen a lot of academy managers come and go I'd sat down with a lot of academy managers who were trying to always talk me into going into an academy role which was always flattering I remember Keith Layton doing an unbelievable job to the point you even thought how on earth has he achieved academy status for this football club and it's when the Icelandics were in charge Keith I think he only Keith Lane could answer how he got academy status for the football club. Did an unbelievable I don't think he job. Home, did he? <laughs> well, that's probably one of the reasons. He had a bed there, didn't yeah. he? At the stadium. Bless him. Oh. But no, Keith, did, Keith yeah. got the ball rolling. Uh, hard grafter. Lo- really lovable guy as well, mm. yeah, not I actually coached in the academy that first year. So right. I'd be about 20. Right, wow. I had the under-11s. That's and, impressive. And I was still semi pro In and, and, and Keith being Keith, he came in and he said... Uh, would you do me a favour Rich <laughs> I've got the under 11s are playing Liverpool away at the weekend and I haven't got anyone in place yet could, could you do me a few weeks and Keith just one of them lovable people you have to say yes to Yeah, yeah. and I always remember I got to the Christmas I was drained at, I was doing my job with the community I was playing semi-pro football and I was coaching in the academy so I was doing probably up with 60 plus hours a week and I was just drained and I remember saying to Keith back November time I'm gonna do to Christmas and I've really I've got to knock it on the head. Yeah. and I, he didn't speak to me for a couple of days yeah and it broke my heart to time He's such a lovable guy um, but no, I remember coaching that six months good experience but then I'd, I'd seen the struggle a lot of Academy managers had there so then I sat down with Steve Holland yeah and I never really got full belief that Steve was here for the long run he had he had too much knowledge if anything, for yeah, that yeah. role. So that was the most tempted I ever was, to, was to go when, when Steve said, will you join the academy? But I'd also given me word to do the three years with the, with the girls and ladies, and I was two years into that. Yeah. It's when I sat down with Dave Wright, who'd been appointed academy director, that I knew the football club were totally serious on what they wanted to do, and Dave was probably the first one who ever sat down told me the philosophy that was going to be implemented, told me the structure, told me what his visions for the Academy were, which he put in place. And that's when you thought it's time to do it. Mm. And it looks impressive and it looks serious. And the football club are going to have a real go at this. Uh, so yeah, and that, that it went from that's there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Here's a big one for you. Um, influential coaches that have influenced you, mentors, people you've worked with, managers even don't mind. And why? Who, who've shaped your thoughts and philosophies and stuff? Anybody in particular?
1: i definitely have to say Tony Lacey.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because?
1: Just a hard but fair taskmaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you look back, even probably at the age of, I always remember when Lace got, um, he got finished. I remember the day he got finished. It was a sad day. And even within a week of him going, you realise what he'd done for right. you. And that's early because normally it takes, I've had release players on the phone to me, you've released two, three years ago, and they understand that you were with them. But they never understood that when you released them. So definitely Tony Lacey, in terms of just the, the core values he put in yeah, me as a person. Yeah. yeah. Along the way, I've, I've been lucky. I've met I've met a lot of people whose knowledge I've tapped into. Um, the head of coaching who's at Stoke now, Jimmy Hunter. I was probably an absolute pain in the backside with my my challenging ways and always one striving for better. But picked a lot up off Jim, yeah. just in terms of detail. Yeah. And Dave Wright, particularly the. The academy director at the time, Dave's knowledge for attention to detail yeah. was on another level, and it opened my eyes. And then externally, whenever I was doing the course with the FA, and I knew Dick Bate was doing it, I got excited because he was—he was just on a another level to anything I'd ever worked yeah, yeah. with. And I, I know Dick would have his critics that he never went into a football club and was a thriving success, but as a coach educator it's going to take some time yeah. if ever to where he'll be yeah, place because yeah. he was yeah. just on another level. Yeah, yeah. And then there's different people I still speak to today I'll use as mentors to carry on learning from that just got a wealth of knowledge. But Tony Lace would be the one that yeah, stuck yeah. out the most.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's great. So as you went along in your own... So there you are as a professional coach and you've got all this, you know, at a young age, this experience on, under your belt. Um, what's your what would you say to your your players who you were working with what do you think were your strengths Rich that that you gave to them in terms of their development
1: the biggest one I've found since I've finished is the amount of players since I've left the football club who have approached me to stay in touch and it's it's upward of a hundred players wow and the biggest thing that they get drawn to that they've told me which I'm pleased with is my honesty. At the time, some of them might have found it tough to take, but the amount of kids who've come back and said, you cared. And that's the biggest pleasing aspect. Don't get me wrong, we all want to be tactical geniuses and influence the individuals, but the amount to, similar to what probably Lacey's done, it's given life skills. Mm. Very appreciative to what I've taught them about the game and to the levels that I've gotten, but more appreciative to how I've developed them as people. yeah. And a lot of that was, I was always big on man-managing players to your best of abilities. Did I get stuff wrong? Yes. Would I change some stuff? Absolutely. But the good stuff that I've done, I used to try and make time for players off the pitch, which being an, an academy, a Cat 1 academy, you're fortunate because you've got players milling around the club. Yeah. More than what you would at a Cat 3 where they're just coming in for the evening oh. sessions and it's, it's rushed. You don't get the quality yeah, time. No. I was fortunate at facilities, I'd sit in the canteen, I'd have a hot chocolate or a piece of toast, or to have a bite, to eat. I'd, I'd always try and make time for every player, yeah, yeah. what have you got going on in life, taking an interest in them, um, because you become very passionate and hopefully caring for the people that you're looking yeah, after, yeah. so it's nice to hear that probably honesty was my strength, but I also think honesty was probably my downfall as well.
0: Well. okay, yeah. It's great to hear, um, I mean, obviously the coaching world's not recently lost um, Eric Harrison who, who, and interestingly enough, Rich, you know, you've just talked about Lace, Tony Lacey and, you know, the class of 92 who obviously made amazing successes out of a career, all said that he, he prepared them with life skills, he, that you knew exactly where you were and as a taskmaster, he was an absolute dynamite on that, which is what you were subjected to as well. And but they also said, just like you just alluded to, that he was brutally honest. And but underneath it all, well, they knew he cared about them, as you know. And, and um, that, that that that's great. Um, so moving on from that. So if you've got okay, you've got a young player who's in, could be fourteen, could be sixteen, doesn't really matter. What what would you say to them, or what, what if you could give them? Let's just say that they're technically have got the, the ability to be in an academy so they've obviously got an, an ability to play football at some level what, what do you think the most if you've got like five minutes with them and that's all you've got to, yeah. what would you say to them?
1: Save every moment make sure you enjoy it make sure you do the extras work hard what you tend to find and you'll have you'll experienced this Robin the many roles that you've done at 14 15 16 particularly the amount of kids who are leapfrogging each other yeah yeah and the the conversations you will have a staff on he could be he might not be i'm not too sure about him and he comes again it's phenomenal once you get to 16 yeah i think it is who's got the strongest characters right who's got the most desire right who has got that resilience, to keep bouncing back from wherever it may be. And that, that what I'd say to a young player, don't concentrate on what you can't do. We, we've, we've had that in this country for too long, and I've been guilty of it 100%. Look at what you can do. Know what you can
0: do. Do you think that as coaches, we have that judgmental, critical part of our characters, which we have to kind of, I think you have to govern that, because it's so easy to get into a, a, exactly what you've just said that we look at what players can't do in order to try and get them to do it but actually instead of getting that far it actually becomes a, a focus on what they can't do do you think that we as individuals and as a, as a, as a cohort of people, professionals will be better looking at and embellishing what people can do and making that better in them? 100%. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I've... I've been guilty as probably any honest coach will say I've made that mistake. The biggest thing I found being involved in a Cat 1, it's so intense. There, there, is, there is pressure being laid at your door as a coach. I think I was over 22 or 23 staff, multidisciplinary staff. So right. I was bringing eight or nine different departments together. Yeah. And I don't think the coach at times is allowed to coach. I think you're stuck in a bubble and you can't step out of it because it's so demanding. When you're allowed to step outside the bubble and reevaluate and reflect, if you can get confidence in a player with realism and honesty, don't lie to them. Players, kids aren't stupid. Kids know when you're lying to them. Kids know when you say brilliant to them that they just made a basic pass. They know it's not brilliant. But there's a certain level of praise that yes, they need. But if you can get that reflection process correct for you as an individual, that's when I think you'll get the best out of the players.
0: And on that, do you think, I'm probably asking you a rhetorical question here, but do you think it's hard and it's a discipline for us to be reflective enough uh, in order to improve ourselves and therefore them? Because I think that in terms of time, you've hit the nail on the head with time demands at half past nine at night or half past 11 if you're getting after a game and you know tomorrow starts at seven are you gonna go through well what was i like on the touchline today what did i say at the break to help him her and i found and this isn't you know excuse me just interrupting you, but I, I found that if you take the time to actually box off 20 minutes to write stuff down you think you can do it in your head and i think you can to a degree but actually I found it powerful to, to actually go, do you know what? Yeah. I didn't listen to what that kid was telling me. I just wanted to get in what I wanted to say. And, and um, having a reflective process for me has been a massive discipline. Not saying to get it right, you know, but that's what you're saying by...
1: And it's a great point. And it's, if, if you can put that 15, 20 minutes to one side and reflect honestly, and that's a difficulty with coaches mm. sometimes, looking at yourself and saying, what did I get right More importantly, what did I get wrong? Then it gives you that same process as what you're asking of the players. But I think it's also very important as a coach is to know your strengths. And I think in today's modern society, we ask a lot of the players. We probably give the players too much. I look at some of the stuff back in... We did some great work in the academy, probably great stuff that's still going on there, don't get me wrong. But just the amount of detail you'll drill to and the way that you deliver... Match analysis was always my frustration because I never had, leading into my match analysis sessions, I'd never had enough time to really prepare to the level I wanted to yeah. prepare to and a lot of it was off the cuff and I used to use match analysis to actually th- the actual session to think about what I wanted out of it and then what that got me better at thinking was well, instead of me standing in front of a screen for an hour to which I probably did for the first couple of years yeah Give it to the players. Let's see what they're coming so cool. from, and let let's see what they're telling me, mm. so I can learn from them. And oh. I always remember my last two to three years in the academy. Probably got myself into a little bit of trouble doing some of the stuff that I did. Went on made man's youth award. Probably like many candidates, sat there and thought, "What's going on?" Listening to some of the ideas, but actually going back and thinking, "I'm going to try it." Why be dismissive of it? Yeah. And I remember. We had a Floodlet Cup game, under-15s, first, first one of the... And the floodlight Cup was brilliant. It was a brand-new competition. It was something where development was important, but winning was also a yeah. focus, which is a little bit of a dirty yeah. word in academies. Yeah. And I remember saying to the boys, flip chart, <laughs> screen yeah. was on, there's a pen, pick a team. And we got right. so much stuff that season done. And I think the boys were, were actually surprised because they saw me as this... Odd taskmaster, fair, but he's odd. Um, and when they knew they were doing the preparation, I'll never forget the session. We actually had um, sixteen players in a room, yeah. which was a squad for the game the following night. And I told them pick the team. So you've only got eleven spaces. You've got sixteen players. So wherever there was a clash between, we got two centre mids in one so position. Where-
0: just let me get this is a brilliant story so when you you've asked them to pick the team where are you now in the dressing room with them
1: no, we're in the classroom suite right?
0: so this is the day before or on yeah, the day
1: we, we had the floodlight cup game on tuesday night and lovely. this was monday night right, so you said they might
0: pick the team so you sit back you give them a pen and a whiteboard yeah and go on. so who, who steps up or go on they're they
1: stunned at first yeah, yeah, they're looking at me thinking i've cracked up oh he's finally cracked up and i've said i want to know your thoughts um, one of the first forward ones that came Two lads who were scholars there Now one was Dan Malone And the other one was Adam Porter yeah. Sort of still looking at me Waiting for me to grab the pen back off me And it say it, it's Sit a down. joke But no they, they 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 started to get stuff down And well we had clashes With two right backs in the team yeah. Then all of a sudden They let like the players Are oh, we going to decide it? We'll vote
0: So the players Seriously? voted who
1: they wanted in And then we even give, as we developed it through the season, we even give the kids, an, uh, I think it was 10 or 15 seconds on why they should be in the team. They, they, never, they never went personal, which was brilliant. They never went, I'm better than you. Yeah. They started to speak about their attributes on why they should have been in the team. And we made great progress. Funnily enough, the Liverpool game, we actually lost three 2 yeah. we, we give them three, three errors for the goals. So technically... If you defend properly, you're coming off and you win 2-0, but it gave, it gave such impetus and spring for the rest of that competition that the kids knew how we'd plan and would prepare for it. But it got to the point where they would start taking ownership on what they were doing on the training field to prepare. So the quicker they could be in the classroom, the longer we'd get on the training field. And they realised if they were dallying about in the classroom, we're cutting training down. And we started devising strategies for the game, wow. stuff that they wanted to work what on. It. This was a start in 11, are we all in agreement? This is the subs, how might we change the game? Who've we got on the bench? Who are the game changes if we're chasing the game? And we start to work through scenarios, winning, awesome. losing. But no, they were brilliant. They took ownership of it, but it, 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 w- it woke me up a little bit to the point of everything doesn't have to come from me. No. Stuff can come from these guys. They've really. got brains, they've got voices. Throughout that season that they would take the match analysis sessions, they do unit work, they do individual work, or they, they would present back to the group collectively where you had one or two players standing in front of the classroom and talking on what they thought great. whatever the footage was. So that great. was that was a good journey.
0: That's great. So how how old what age group do you think that might that do you think there's a limit to what age group that would stop working at? Even if it's because of the politics of the game, or...
1: Well, if you'd asked me that five years ago, I'd have probably said, yeah, definitely. Now, you just think, why should there be a limit? Mm. See what they've got. nurture it, develop it, see what ideas the boys have got. If, if, if they get it wrong, if you can get... I don't. they're only giving their opinion, so I suppose you can't be wrong giving your opinion. But in terms of helping them, is that not a life skill you... you they, they, they present us from a young age that they're getting used to talking in front of the peers I saw some of the stuff that the, the lads and foundation were doing um, and how their ideas evolved and there were some brilliant ideas yeah. I remember one coach on a it was a Monday night he, he bought glow in the football dark right. and the lights are going to be switched off in the dome they're going to have the face paint the luminous paint so I remember the reaction particularly on one of the, one of the more old school coaches which was disappointing they coming to an academy to train and he's brilliant that the foundation coach turned around he said they're nine years old and you needed reality and wake-up calls in that environment to say you yeah, the kids and it was so easy to forget these boys that they always look older than what they are with the peers it used to hit me when they come in on day release and you'd see him go off the bus walk in, in the school uniform to the changing rooms and that's when he said yeah it hit me a few times and we're working with they're kids And I made the mistake I wouldn't say over and over again, but I made mistakes. As we They are all before the time and if you went back and had your time, of course you'd change some stuff, but in in terms of answering the question,
0: is there a certain age? No. That's brilliant. And what's come to my mind since you've been saying that's a great story and and I you know, I'm gonna start I'm gonna take some bones out of that, mate, because that's this is one of the advantages of talking to great people like you, mate. I get all the all the all the good stuff. Is, um, the doc at Everton told me that when Everton won the the, the title in '85, Howard Kendall was the manager. Used to at half time would wouldn't go into the dressing room until so we'd half time whistle go. The lads would go into the dressing room and he he wouldn't go in for about ten minutes. So it was a fifteen minute strict fifteen minute or it might have even been a ten minute break then. So yeah. he wouldn't go in until two minutes before he used to go out because he knew he'd got um, Peter Reid, Kevin Ratcliffe. Neville South or to name just three. You know, never mind Adrian, Ethan, and, and, and all the rest of it. And they'd sort it out between themselves. And he said very often he'd stand outside because there was a war going on in the dressing room. Somebody was up against the wall with somebody's got his hand around the throat sorting it all out. Do you know what I'm saying? And all he did was go in and say, all right, lads. Yeah, brilliant. Which, different level. Yeah. Different personalities. Not making any comment on whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent. But they won the title on the back of that. And Howard Kendall knew that actually his leaders we're in there and if you take that back all you were doing then not all you were doing but you're you're facilitating people to become independent thinkers not rely on rich carter yeah but actually to become independent strong confident people who can make decisions because we've talked about this before we went we, we started recording this once you watch a game once once those kids are over that wild line we can scream and shout all, all, all we want yeah that's not what it's about is and it and how
1: many times have we watched ourselves with the technology we have now and you've been the coach on the sideline that's probably given too much information and the, end the end amount of times like. the amount of times I remember when I first went to the academy I had we had a group we didn't fancy and the amount of kids that have gone in that group and actually got careers in the game is quite scary yeah, yeah yeah and that's where you think don't judge them too early and one of the boys was was Tom Edwards and I'll speak with Tom now, obviously yeah. he's just breaking into the first team, he's not quite established yet, but he's he's on the right tracks, and Tom will reminisce a couple of stories when he was younger, and I'll, I'll cringe, I'll honestly cringe, but we just found, we had to put our stamp on the academy at the time, um, there'd been no real direction for probably a couple of years, and... I think the parents, because of the efforts that they put in, which can easily be overlooked, were sort of in limbo and they wanted to start taking right. control. <laughs> so we, we were really commanding the first year to, yeah. to stamp over authority on it. Uh, and I'm not saying it was wrong because it helps some of them players, and you will get some players who are functional who need telling yeah. what to do. But you think if you can get the balance right yeah. and don't go to the other end of the scale because I think some people have, have really taken in the wrong sense where it was put out from at the FA, let the game be the teacher. Yeah. I think some people have taken that completely wrong. Mm. And I know the game now is full of academics, which there's nothing wrong with because you need that balance of people. But I also think you need your football people mm. who at the right time, right place can give. The, the kids aren't always going to have the answers at yeah, yeah. times. You can coax them, you can guide them, but at times they need the answers.
0: And there are time constraints, Richard. Definitely. You can't give somebody three months to learn it. It's something, if, if, you, can, if you can explain and show in, in 30 minutes, why waste two, two months, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think
1: I, I think the games it's at a, at a critical point now where there's some real exciting talent coming through Yeah, the focus we've had on 1v1 players I don't know will that get switched in the next five years because people will say there's there's no defenders of old you mentioned Kevin Ratcliffe have yeah. you got your Kevin Ratcliffe so you don't Mountfields of the day probably not so football always works in trends it always works in cycles same as we've had 4-3-3 probably the last seven or eight years as a craze and 4-4-2 and 3 5 creeping back in so you always think there's a time and there's a place for everything Brad, I just think the game's at a critical point now where people don't go over the edge with how much ownership is given and always remember that at times players do need guidance don't be embarrassed to help them mm. to the answer guide them to it mm. but if you can't guide them to it tell them yeah. and there's a time and a place for everything but the experiences in the academy hard work real yeah. hard work yeah. Not enough time to think, unfortunately. um I used to keep a log of my hours and I still.
0: <laughs> Asking for time and loo. I've never asked for <laughs>
1: time and loo. You, you, that sort of is a self management tool yeah, to yeah. am I working yeah. efficiently, effectively? Because clubs will never, they will never come out publicly and say, yeah, you're well over your hours and we're breaking the law. But it's probably one of the few industries where people don't get two days a week off, don't work 40 hours a week. And I think the one thing that EPPP unfortunately has not got right is the remuneration because it was always with salary. The foundation coaches, the dream was the foundation coaches will be paid the same as mm. the PDP yeah. coaches to stop people wanting to climb yeah. the ladders for the wrong reason. So, in, in terms of everything that EPPP has done, a lot of positives, but I think if it could create a little bit more thinking time for the coaches, let them have blue sky time, 15 minute cup of tea during the Absolutely. day. I, my Mondays, Rob, I hated. I would be at the training ground for about 7:30. You'd sit round, you'd have a catch up, which was great. You'd have a catch up with all the other coaches on what happened at the weekend, from 23s all the way down to nines. I'd enter a meeting about 8:30, and I'd get out my final meeting in the day at half past four, nice. five o'clock. Wow. And there's probably about six or seven different meetings. And people used to say you're creating work for yourself, but you had to log these meeting minutes, and you had to be thorough. And that's the difficulty of academies these days. There are a lot of voices who probably all want the best for the kids. But within that, there has to be a decision that has to be made. And my biggest thing now, we've got these independent learners. We've got some real exciting talent coming through. But one of the biggest things you have to be mindful of is, have you got staff who can be challenged themselves? Right. And moving forward, I think that's going to be a tipping point yeah. for some people yeah. because it's okay challenging the players, but can you be challenged yourself? And like I say, some phenomenal work in the academies that you look upon now, some exciting talent, but there'll always be a tipping point. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably just around the corner.
0: Yeah. So, okay, just moving on from that, where do you think or have you got a thought process on where the game's going whether it's related to that tipping point you, you refer to or not or where the game is evolving to in the next five years, ten years in terms of, you know what, what your own personal thoughts are how it's developed
1: Well, sports science has had a huge yeah, impact yeah. upon the game and I was always one who was deemed as not accepting of sports science but there's elements of sports science I find fascinating I was, I've always been big into psychology and I think psychology is a huge part. But you just look at the impact with the sports scientists now and you're getting people fresh out of uni with all these ideas, some good ideas, but haven't really taken the time to learn probably what goes into it from knowledge of the game point of view, whether it be technical or tactical. You can see the game getting quicker. Mm. I can't see players getting slower. No. It is getting more and more physically demanding. Yeah. To which makes technical skills to be of an even higher standard. Um, I just think if science can be merged with coaching, in my experiences, a little bit more productively. Yeah. And you can get these teams of people working together creatively, but also realistically. Yeah. But I think the biggest problem... Particular academies will face you get some good people, you get some good relationships, but you go back to the remuneration because the salaries aren't right, people move on quick. Yeah, so yeah. just as you built your relationships, and that was a frustration of mine, just as you've got that real good connection with a physiotherapist or your sports science for your 12s to 16s, they would be moving on for reasons they probably would prefer not to, but at the end of the day everyone needs pain. So in terms of where's the game going, systems will change, we know that. Everyone wants to be a Pep Guardiola at the minute, but then you look at some some of the up and coming minds You look at Stoke's manager Nathan Jones. What what can he bring his own type, his own brand of football hmm. to it instead of being another Pep Guardiola? I don't. I just see the game getting faster. faster yeah, yeah, I see. I see yeah. it becoming. Uh, so the balance of defending has disappeared a little bit over the last three to four years. Yeah, do you think
0: that's got to be redressed a little bit?
1: And that's what I'm saying with the cycle of players. We've got all these exciting 1v1 players now, so our, our club's going to be calling out for we need more defensive type of players. Because you look at Man City and John Stones, who's got a hell of a lot better defensively mm. since Pep's mm. gone in. And you obviously think he's had a, mm. he's had a big influence on look, get your basics right, yeah. get your bread and butter right first of all, but a phenomenal player on the ball. Yeah. But then... I, I think there'll be an outcry at some point that we just haven't got the defenders anymore. Mm, so yeah. football goes in cycles. Yeah, we yeah. keep saying it, it reverts. Will it go full circle to combat some of the brilliant 1v1 players there is now like Jadon Sancho yeah. and uh, Hudson-Odoi at Chelsea? We need pe- people who can actually play against these yeah, yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. But then you look at the, the role of the fullback, who, who would have thought 10 years ago that fullbacks were allowed to cross the halfway line?
0: Now it's more people would would pay a lot more for somebody you can actually penetrate, get beyond, and get crosses in than they would to be as a real. I that's how I, I see it. You know, it, yeah. it, it, they'd pay more for uh, an Ashley Cole than they would for a Mickey Pedic for, for me. and, yeah. and, and without stereotyping those because Pedic was at a, a wonderful effort. So I'm not trying to say he couldn't play. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Sure. He was absolutely unbelievable, England, you know, international. But yeah, so that to have a player and. I think you're right. I, I think that there's, it's the pendulum, as pendulums do, has swung a little bit too too far that way. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, but hey, yeah. Hey,
1: hey. It'll be interesting, but I, I think the other thing that needs bearing in mind when we're coaching these kids, which was something I went back about 15, 20 minutes ago, is, and this is where my honesty was my downfall, you know that every player that you work with, as much as you get emotionally attached, they don't become your sons, but you look at the mm. families mm. and you appreciate the lifestyle that they've got and you feel for them and you look at the kids and you're desperate for them to succeed and when you start having doubts about are they going to make it or not mm. you've got to give them something to take away from the sacrifice they're yeah. making the experience so I was always thinking do you know what they're not going to be Premier League players as they were when I was at Stoke there was yeah. always a Premier League club when I was in the academy yeah. so what happens if they're a League 1, League 2 player What happens if they're a non-league player? Now, those are the experiences I would share where I think people are a little bit oblivious to in the game now. They think everyone in that academy is going to be a Premier League player. What tools can you give them to go elsewhere and be successful? If it's not in football, help them to be successful in life because there's no greater feeling and I've experienced this more in the last 12 months than ever before to when your phone rings, I don't know this number, should I answer it? You answer it and it's, Rich. it's such-and-such and And this is a kid that you've released be it against your will or not because in my role I was seen as a decision-maker but I was I was the one who bought the news I've released kids I never wanted to release and I've released kids obviously I agreed we we all agreed to release but when they ring you for advice or help be it can you get me to a club I'm over in the States and I don't know what to do next in my life There's no greater feeling than that. And knowing that you've set them up in life as a footballer at a lower level or as an individual, a human being, that's the greatest satisfaction you can take. And that makes up for them 15-hour days and 7 o'clock starts and 10 o'clock finishes. But I think that's where your honesty, it it does serve you well.
0: So we've looked at your playing career, we've looked at your your, your rich coaching career and I know now um, that you've, we moved on into, into a, a business um, that, you, that you're uh, heavily involved in. Um, tell us about your business and, and what the philosophy of that is and what you're doing in that and um, how, you, how you're going about helping people in that.
1: Yeah, um, came about through chance. It was a career change I wasn't planning. Um, what happened happened and then it, for, for a month or two you were stuck at a crossroads. Yeah. What do I do next? I wasn't... At the time when I came out of Stoke, I wasn't too bothered about staying in the game, Right. because from the age of 16 up to 40, I'd been submerged in one industry, yeah. and even the, the two years between sort of, I think it was 18, well, oh, 18 months, 18 to 19 before I rejoined the community, that was the only life outside the football I'd had. Right. But I was still semi-pro in, so I was at a crossroads. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, considered being a store manager of Tesco went for a job interview did well at the job interview told i didn't have the experience for store manager would you become an assistant store manager and build your way up <laughs> yeah. i remember driving home from the interview and thinking you've got all this knowledge but i, I don't know there's just things in the game at the minute that i, I can't get my head around yeah. the, the politics of yeah. it particularly um so uh, it's got chatting with a, a guy i'd set on the community as a young lad he was 15, 16, I remember him from school, been out abroad, had a little bit of success with his uh, private academy and he'd come back, he just had a little volume. We sat, we had a conversation over at Costa and Holmes Chapel and I remember meeting him and I I didn't really believe it had legs, I wasn't gonna get involved in it. The more we spoke about it, the more I thought, working for myself, that'll be interesting and let's give it a go, so what we do now, He's obviously got connections over in America, right. Canada, and he knows people everywhere. He knows people in Dubai. So the model is there's talent out there that's not given the opportunity. Yeah. Um, he's worked with a lot of players. He's got his contacts overseas who recommend players to us. They've obviously got to be the the right credentials. When I say that, I mean European passport. Yeah. But there's a lot of kids who are living in Canada, parents of business owners, UK passports. That want to forge your career in this country because the opportunity is so great. Right. So we bring them over and we don't take them with. We don't take them into Premier League clubs or Championship clubs if they're of the level. I'm fortunate to have the contacts where I could get them can in there that, and yeah. have a look. But I think the biggest culture shock for the sort of the clientele that we're dealing with, they've only got two or three divisions at best from the countries they're from. Yeah. And they don't realise how good our non-leaguers. Right. And I've, I've. I'm happy I've reintegrated myself into non-league football at the minute. Rightly or wrongly, I, p- I prefer watching non-league football to a Premier League game. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've been like that for ages, mate. And
1: I just think it's because I've been submerged in the yeah, Premier yeah, League bubble yeah. for so many yeah. years. And I I, did, I lost roots. I, I, I lost My my roots was non-league football. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and then I'd lost that. I didn't have the time to go to games. So I fell back in love with it. And when you take some of the, the boys that we're working with into non-league clubs... They don't understand the standard mm-hmm. that some of these boys down to step three, step four are getting paid decent money.
0: I'm making boy
1: Yeah. And, I mean, the step three players I know now, who, who, who they don't work. They're making enough money to live on. And, obviously, your step two and your step one players are non-league. They don't need mm-hmm. a full-time job. Football's mm-hmm. a full-time job. So the standard is a bit of a culture shock mm-hmm. for them. I think they get excited that there's more opportunities yeah. here. And then the other stuff we're doing, we bring... Um, Foreign teams from overseas, right. and they come and sample playing against UK okay. academies. So it's great experiences for them. Um, so we, we, we do team tours. And there's two or three other things that we've got going that we're just
0: looking. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: nice at the minute to have options, but yeah. I fell into it, Rob. Brilliant. I have fallen
0: to it so, by pure luck yeah no so I mean I've experienced a little bit of it myself and a great day with you and when, uh, when, when it came over and um you know it, I think that that's a great opportunity for anybody who you know who, who can help you out with that because I had a, such a lovely lovely relaxed time within it you know I really enjoyed it so if anybody whether you're a parent a player a coach or you want to find out more about what you do um what's the best way for them to contact you or your business rich what's the
1: I'm Quite modern now.
0: I've got an email address,
1: I've oh, got an email address, a
0: mobile phone, but I'm even on Instagram and oh, yeah. LinkedIn. So, now. What, do they, what do they type in or what do they put in? Have you got anything? In the can, email address
1: is just rich at adpfootball.co.
0: Okay. So, adpfootball.com, ADP they'll find you somewhere on there, yeah,
1: yeah, or they can go on LinkedIn, Google Rich Carter, and they'll yeah, see brilliant. my good looking mug, yeah, <laughs> and they'll they, um. I'm I'm on there. And obviously we've got an ADP account on Instagram as well. And that's the most popular one at the minute where your parents and your players will, will contact you. And basically there's that curiosity. What do you do? Mm -hmm. We've, we've been quite lucky with some of the links that we've got with clubs. We're not linked any with anyone exclusive. We've got no formal links. It's just the contacts that you build up in the game over the years. And we just like to help clubs with their recruitment requirements. Yeah. So particularly for the lower league clubs and league one, league two and the non-league, they don't have all these expensive scouting operations that seem to be yeah. setting up everywhere now. So if we can help a club with their requirements and they trust us enough to yeah. share that information, which again, it can be confidential, then we're always happy to do that. And we've had an impressive strike rate in getting boys in with professional yeah. clubs on yeah. the, the foot uh, f- wow. on the ladder. Brilliant. And same as non-league clubs, we've got boys who are living in the UK be in, the, in the playing non-league they've got a job or they're brilliant. going to university as well and they're, they're living their life now yeah
0: brilliant oh that's fantastic so okay well let's hope uh, people can take advantage of of all that because uh, i can tell you from a, a personal experience anybody's listening out there that um you know rich runs um with his business partner a a wonderful business They've got a great feel about it and the the, the the day i had with him was absolutely great rich he really was and the kids were so relaxed and you could tell you know how much they were they were enjoying the experience. You know, I got some great feedback from them because you asked me to speak to them at the end and you can just tell when 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 kids are, no, that's are brilliant are enjoying to hear. The experience, we, mate. We know, loved having you coming along at, on the day. Yeah, and, and you know, um that that was great. So just to finish off mate, I know you're a busy man. Um we've taken a few conversations to, to get this far. So Rich the man. So you're away from football. yes okay, What about you? Have you got a favourite film? Are you, are you film buff? Is anything like you think you've Oh, look, that's my favourite film. Right? Has we got one of them? I what?
1: told you, I'm, I'm modern now. My um, business partner's educated me on social media, and he's, he's introduced me to Netflix. Has he. And I've got into a series recently. I've always liked Ray Donovan on Sky Atlantic. I'm. I i do not do films anymore. Probably for me, lack of concentration. <laughs> Same as when people say, "What books do you read?" I don't read books. No. I read blogs. Uh, okay. Yeah. Short and sweet for me. Yeah, so yeah. he's got me into a series called breaking bad which i think first aired 2007 2008 i've heard of it so i'm just catching up now i'm just (laughs) catching up and um usually the storyline it's got it's something that i'd never be entertained with uh, not for me and i've sat down got into it and i'm i think i'm just entering series four of that now i'm playing playing catch up yeah and then obviously my kids um being out of football directly as a not, not in a club environment, I should say, within that, because I, I suppose technically I do still work within football. Not being in a club environment, it, it's mainly value being at home a little bit more okay. and having the time to see my kids grow up. So I'm thankful for that. Um, but the one thing I think, Rob, is I should have had kids earlier because I'm getting old now and <laughs> I haven't got the energy anymore. <laughs> half, an hour, half an hour and I'm done. Oh, so, bless. yeah, it's just it's, it's valuing watching your kids growing up. And uh, when my missus allows me half an hour, I'll stick a bit of breaking bad on at the minute.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Well, Rich, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, This has been about the best hour and a half I've spent for all week, I can tell you (laughs) that, mate. It's been great. and uh, I've loved listening to you myself, and I've picked some stuff out of it myself. Um, And I hope anybody out there who's got anything that they think Rich can help you with, whether you're a player, a parent, or a club, you know, um, I, I can't endorse it more than say you know get in touch because um if he can't help me he'll certainly put you in touch with somebody who can so rich i do appreciate your time mate and um you know hopefully we'll catch you again and perhaps speak again in a couple of years and see where you're up to then All right. that's great well yeah.
1: the co- company if anyone wants to look at it, it's uh, adp football uk and thanks for inviting me along cheers for the coffee and it's been right, great mate. to catch up Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, rich.
0: Bye.